Our guest this episode lives in Point Reyes, California. She's a singer, guitarist, pianist, voice teacher, choir director, and community organizer, as well as a longtime yoga teacher. She leads a choir of up to 50 people that absolutely delights and inspires the community with their performances. During our conversation, she reveals that she's more interested in singing as a path to personal healing and transformation than as a performance-oriented activity. This becomes a main area of focus in our discussion. She's also the co-founder and executive director of the nonprofit Sound Orchard. In her own words, our guest believes that making music together can help create a more healthy, vibrant, and connected community. We are pleased to welcome our guest this episode, Debbie Daly. Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where words are music, hearts are melodies, and harmony is our vision. I'm Jill Minier. And I'm Daniel Townsend. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I hope you're all having a great day so far. Uh, to my right here in the room, I have Debbie Daly. How's it going today? It's going well. Glad, Glad to be here. here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so... First of all, I want to apologize for having a really uh, um, nasal-sounding voice today. I'm just getting over a cold, um, but uh, nonetheless, here I am. Thank goodness. Um, so, Davey, uh, I just want to kind of share with our listeners how we originally met. I met you like two years ago. Yeah, at a Rhiannon workshop, so mm-hmm. workshop with uh, the wonderful uh, improvisational singing instructor, yes. uh, day long here in Sebastopol. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just resonated. I, uh, I heard your, vo- your singing voice, your improvising, and I just was blown away. Oh. And then I remember we had some really nice, easy, fluid conversations yes. after, uh, in between the, on the breaks and stuff. And we have all this stuff in common yes. in our lives. Yes. Yes. Including yoga. Um, yeah. and when I discovered that you were a yoga teacher as well, um, even though I, listeners, I'm no longer doing that, but I did for 25 years. Um, I was like really, I was really excited. And also to hear that you were into yin yoga, which we'll discuss later, perhaps. Okay. Yes. Because <laughs> um, I'm really happy about that. I think the world needs more yin yoga. Um, mm. But anyway, um, yeah, so we did that Rhiannon workshop and it was all improvisational singing. And Rhiannon is actually, just for people who don't know, used to sing with uh, Voicestra, Bobby McFerrin's group. Mm-hmm. I think she's touring with him again now, actually. Um, but so that kind of brings us to your interest in music and what you're doing musically. Um, yes. I am actually curious to know where you grew up because you're living in Marin now, but um, right, West Marin. Mm-hmm. And I grew up, I was born in New Jersey and um, grew up in New Jersey. Oh. Yeah. I grew up in New York, upstate New York. Oh, okay. And we I'm went from... to the Jersey Shore all the time. Oh, Jersey Shore is where <laughs> I grew up. So, oh, really? Um, Asbury Atlantic? Park. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah. For Springsteen's town. So actually a um, small town next to Asbury Park, which is called Ocean Grove, mm-hmm. and it's called uh, God's Square Mile is its nickname, and it's run by a Methodist organization and we, my family ended up there. Um, my, my parents were split up um, since I was young, and, and my father had some kind of a deal there. He was never religious. He grew up Catholic and 
and was beaten by the nuns and hated religion. Um, for, and so we, we, we were not in there. We didn't get into that town because of being religious people, but, um, but we really enjoyed being there. And it was um, surprisingly just a wonderful place to be a teenager because mm-hmm. there was a lot of resources and a lot of things for kids to do to keep them out of, you know, from getting from being bad. So right. we used to do, um, we used to do these teen shows with music and dancing oh, in wow. the summers. It was a really good thing to do to, um, be creative together. And, and I met some of my first harmony singing friends doing oh, wow. that who are still my friends. Um, the twins, the, um, my two twin friends and, uh, and their older sister and that, yeah, they got me going singing harmony. They were like show tune kinds of people and I, I have never been too much of a show tune person um oh. but they they wish they can memorize things like crazy and wow. <laughs> oh how fun yeah so you were a teenager back then I was um I was a teenager during that time oh. and before that I was in <laughs> church choir was really my mm-hmm. first singing singing is my main thing and um and I also play instruments several of them, not very well, but probably guitar the most. Um, And I started singing in a church choir um, that my mother um, brought my sister and I to um, every week. And we, I guess we were kind of standouts in the um, church choir. And um, my sister and I sing beautifully together. And she's not in a musical creative field mm-hmm. as an adult, but still when we sing together, it's just like there's like something magical mm-hmm. about our harmony. And somebody picked that up when we were five and six years old. Wow. And we got hired to sing in a commercial. Oh, wow. And so I can say that I've been a professional singer since I was six <laughs> <laughs> because I got paid and I have a... I have a um, scan of this $30 check nice. <laughs> that oh I got well with, done. with my name yeah. on it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Did you end up like spending that money on anything in particular? <laughs> right. You know? I don't recall. <laughs> yeah. But that would have been nice, huh? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's, that's a fascinating story. That's really cool. So it was... I might actually just skip to this right now because now I'm dying to ask you like what your first musical memory was because now I'm thinking it might have to do with that. Or at least big significant sort of musical memory that really kind of clicks in your brain. That's an early one, but I think Mm -hmm. before that was my little toddler piano that I got as a gift, Mm -hmm. um, as I think as a Christmas or a birthday gift. I don't remember, but um, that's probably my earliest musical memory is how I just was so excited to have this thing, Mm -hmm. and I would spend like hours at it and that's how the story my parents tell now is that that's how they knew that that okay. there was something there musically yeah. was just how I would not get bored of of playing around with this piano those <laughs> little pianos like <laughs> tell a lot of good stories yeah. you know like a lot of people grow up on those and mm-hmm. it, yeah um you can get them now for so cheap so uh if your kids that's are true. you know might be time to give them a little small piano see what yeah, happens ex- exactly <laughs> so, yes yeah. oh wow and so I actually saw that you um played piano at Rutgers is that did I read yeah so that was my my minor in college was music um and piano was I played piano and just and studied music music theory music history etc um and I played piano all growing up uh, Mm -hmm. classical piano um and as well as singing Mm -hmm. 
Did you enjoy practicing? Did you put much time into that? Or? Oh, yeah. I used to practice a lot. Yeah, they never had... My teachers, my parents never had to force me to practice. Uh, I, was, awesome. I was very self-motivated. Yeah. And you sang and played piano kind of back then? Were you trying to do that? You know, it's interesting that, like, if I could have been the parent and redone it, I would have chosen a different, I would not have, like, putting a child in front of classical music to me is sort of, like, not the right route to go, and I, and, um, just that children have so much creativity in them and I wish I'd been learning chords and how to accompany myself and how to improvise and instead I learned this very rigid system of classical music right. and Mozart and such and it gave me something I'm incredibly grateful for which is this familiarity with the piano keyboard that's like my fingers just know how to play piano and I have the and it helps me with music theory and it helps me to understand music mm -hmm. because I have that that big foundation. And then singing was separate from piano. Singing mm -hmm. was done in choir. It was done on the stage in like musicals and with my friends. And, um, and so I didn't start to combine those two things until I got a guitar and started playing guitar at age 17. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a great age yeah. to start playing guitar and you're sitting there and, you know, you play for your friends or when you're depressed in your room all by yourself yep. or whatever. Why do you think there's so many guitarists? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Including me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no. what was that like for you playing guitar when you first started? It was, it was difficult because guitar still to this day is not a natural instrument for me. My fingers don't wrap around in that way. Like I'm still kind of a three chord wonder, even <laughs> though I've gotten a lot more practice at playing my three chords. And I use the capo liberally because I don't, I don't play a lot of complex chords or anything. Um, and, but my rhythm, um, according to bands I've played in, is is really good. So as long as I can mm -hmm. do the chords with my fingers, I've got really good rhythm. And, and so just, yeah, just being able to sing and have something accompanying yeah. my voice was was really pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And to be able to, like, like suddenly cross that bridge where, like, okay, I know how to play well enough that I can sing at the same time, and it's yeah. not, like, yeah. some big effort to make those things happen when, right. that when it just clicks, you know, that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. What kind of songs were you singing back then? What was your repertoire like then? Oh, what, you know what I was into in college was when I really started playing a lot and I was singing at campfires. I, I was involved in some like environmentalist activist um, circles that I, I was one of the people who would sing and lead songs at the campfire for um, like earth firsters and um, people doing activist work. So I had a whole set of songs that, along those lines that mm -hmm. I haven't played any of them in, in quite a while. Neat. Yeah. Wow. Movement music. Mm-hmm. Cool. It kind of reminds me of, you know, uh, the idea of musicians as being leaders and, um, you know, activists in, in, in certain ways. Um, yeah. So um, you were talking about being an environmentalist, and I just do happen to know that you got back from Burning Man recently. Yes. Um, just I don't know. Monday. <laughs> yeah, so you're spending a whole, you know, week out in the desert. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more than a week. Okay. Yeah, that's a new thing in my life. Burning Man is not something I had any interest in, like, 
five years ago, but a lot of things changed in my life four years ago with, with relationship shifting. And right. so there's a whole lot of um, new things that I'm interested in yeah. that it used to be. Sure. <laughs> cool. yeah. what, is, is there a cool music community out in Burning Man? I've never been, so I'm not very familiar with. There is a, um, there's some stuff, but it hasn't, like for me, I bring a guitar, like the two years I've gone, I bring Mm -hmm. my instruments and they don't come out of the case. It's Mm. just, for me, hasn't been an inspiring musical environment, Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, because there's a lot of this electronic music going on that is Mm -hmm. in the background and. And so there's a, other things that I do yeah. there. That's that's not one of my right. musical happy places. I, mm-hmm. I have other musical happy places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, understood yeah. completely. Yeah, I was just curious about that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. I think if you were going to seek out jazz, like there's seventy thousand <laughs> people there, yeah. and there's little there's camps for anything you might be interested in. So if you were going to seek out, like you, I know there's a bluegrass camp, and I haven't heard of a jazz camp, but I'll bet there's one. I know there is one actually. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> at least one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, So, yeah, speaking of Burning Man, and I think about um, change and transformation, uh, you're involved in something called transformational singing. Yeah. Um, I am so fascinated with that concept, that idea, and I would love to hear you tell us about that. Yeah, that's kind of the... um, It it ties in with yogic chanting, Mm -hmm. and it ties in with vocal improv, and... Um, so it's, I mean, and, and even the, the work that I do with Westmoreland Choir is, is also transformational and it's kind of based on this, this idea of getting to this place as a, as a community, as a culture where musicians and singers are not these other people. They're not like these professionals. Yeah. They're us. I love and that. each of us has a voice yes. that is meant to be, is meant to sing and meant to be heard. And there's um, amazingly just so much shame to, to overcome about our, about our voices that we're not good enough and mm-hmm. that's, um, that our voice is not welcome in places or... Um, and when I, with, with the people that I work with, there, there's stories, I hear similar stories many times about um, someone was told by their teacher when they were eight years old or something that their voice is terrible and they shouldn't sing anymore. They're maybe told by their mother or someone who heard them in the shower when they thought they were alone. And these kinds of things, and sometimes the person who says it, they're just joking because mm-hmm. it's some weird part of our culture that we insult each other's voices and then it's supposed to be funny, right? Yeah. Um, and, but, as, but children a lot of time don't get that humor and, and they will carry it for their entire lives and they will Ooh. stop singing until they are 65 years old, oh, retired in Point Reyes, ready to find some community and ready to let something go, let that shame go, and that's when they come to our choir. Wow. And so we have a lot of people in that situation, and it's such a huge joy for me to... I mean, I wish it could happen earlier in life that they yeah. didn't have to spend that many decades right. not singing, mm-hmm. but, but how wonderful it is to mm-hmm. give someone that... Like, I, I, I visualize the choir as like a, a bed. It's like a comfy bed that they get to come into. Oh, and oh wow. Like, because there's this, this cushion of voices, of other voices that sure. helps you to stay in tune, that mm-hmm. helps you to feel confident... Yeah. And um, it's totally a team effort too. 
and it's a team yeah. effort. You exactly. all feel part of that community together, just yeah. singing together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely recommend to anyone who hasn't tried a choir, find a choir somewhere. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, like I, that's the whole reason I started singing too, oh, is yeah. I was scared to death to sing. I knew I really? sounded terrible. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, and I did. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I'm shocked, but Daniel. No, joint like almost being not forced to, but I didn't want to take PE for a third year in a row in high school, so choir was the only other option and so much fun like uh-huh. just being part of that community and like just not being afraid so much to just open up you yeah. Know? yeah yeah did you find that that happened for you pretty easily like once yeah. you got started or? oh yeah totally mm-hmm. yeah yeah just within the first week or so i was like all right this is how it's gonna be i get mm-hmm. it and That's yeah so cool. there's other people in my boat too you know that weren't mm-hmm. really singers and we just figured it out as we went along so yeah yeah hmm. yeah yeah, so that's one piece of the transformational singing is mm-hmm. the choir work. Mm-hmm. And then there's also kind of a different level, like singing with other voices so that you, it, it's, it's a soft entry into singing and then to, to actually do more solo singing and improvisational singing and like welcome whatever um, creative direction your voice wants to go in. Yeah. Um, that's another piece of it. And, and so when I do workshops and that kind of thing. I give people some tools and maybe some, like, raga scales are a good thing to mm. to work with along those lines, which you don't have to know anything about ragas um, to do it, but just to introduce these this set of notes that has a certain sound to it and, and then to have people be able to improvise on those notes. Oh, is, um, it's, it's surprisingly easy and, and effective. And so... Um, and getting in a, a group process with this where people, one person like is brave and does something mm-hmm. to improvise that, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's good if it doesn't actually sound very good. Like the first person who goes, because right. then the other people get, Feel they're more. like, Feel Oh, confident. I can, if they can do it, I can do yeah. it. Totally. And yeah. everyone's so supportive of each other in these, um, in these groups we create, it's really safe. Um, and so it's such heart opening work for everybody. And for me, especially, it's, it's like really, um, it's, it's work that I love to do. And I love, I love holding this kind of space. It's, I'm way more of like a, a musical space holder and group leader than I am a performer. I'm actually a little weird about performing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. yeah um, I'm wanting to go two two uh, directions right now, but I'm right. going to pick one. Yeah. Okay. And um, <laughs> we'll go to both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll try to remember the other one. But I really would love it if you would share with us the raga scale. Would you demonstrate a little bit of raga scale? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a performance. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sure. Yeah. This one. Oh, the names of them. Um, uh, it'll come to me in a second. Um, there's several different scales, and you know, there's there's scales that that correlate with our minor and our major yeah. and, and all these others that make them sound yeah. more ethnic. And it's not just a scale. It's like how certain notes are emphasized and milked and, mm-hmm. and tension is, is yeah. carried in certain places. And I'm not super well-versed in all of that. That's like a great big area of study. But yeah. just the simplest one that, that is the first raga that I learned, the first raga scale that I learned um, through Ann Dyer. I don't know if you... Oh, I d- yeah, I actually took I've a workshop with her at California Jazz Conservatory. Yeah, I took some... Um, I took a few... Uh, workshops with her, and she's amazing and inspiring to me, yeah. Um, And so this one goes, um, just the notes are, hopefully I'll start in a good place. Uh, Sa, sa, yeah, 
the flat too which Very is nice. like yeah not yeah. not super western there no, <laughs> tricky no. to get yeah. tricky to, to hit maybe initially did you find that your it was challenging for your ear to find that initially or yeah yeah that's not actually and starts with that and i don't find that to be one of the easiest ones to start with when mm-hmm. i lead a group um, yeah. i have i have a different one that's more just minor key mm-hmm. um, but that's one of my favorites to play around with neat that is beautiful mm-hmm. wow one one interesting thing, one note is that um, one of the reasons why I took that workshop with Anne is because she's also a longtime yoga teacher. Yeah. Um, so that was just kind of an, another interesting thing. And she actually started out as a jazz singer and then went back, you know, went to um, basically studying Indian music. So. Yeah, and she did maybe the opposite path of you that you went from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yoga exactly. to music, and she, I think, if I under, if I know right, exactly. her path it's kind of yeah. more music to yoga. This is true. This is true. Yeah, it's kind of odd because I think yeah, typically people might go in the other direction, um, not the one that I did. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this happened to me all my life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I'm doing both. I'm I have a, a yoga career and a, a music career that are both sort of competing for my <laughs> for mm-hmm. my time and attention right now mm-hmm. and I love them both and I don't want to let go of one of them so I just keep them both going yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ah. that's so cool so you know um I am always fascinated by the intersection of yoga and creativity and I'm wondering if you could say something about that like does yoga, yoga support in what ways might yoga support or parts of yoga aspects of yoga support kind of the unfolding of um, creativity or helping people get in touch with that source energy? One of the best ways that it works for me is just to get my blocks out of the way. That's It's, it's kind of a clearing mechanism. And to do a nice juicy yoga practice and just the fact that I just feel like a clear vessel afterward Mm -hmm. that I can do anything and be my best self for it. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. And get the the layers of tension out Mm -hmm. of, out of the way. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems from, um, what I, what I have, what I found was oftentimes things would come up in Shavasana, like ideas would come, Yes, in, in corpse that pose. happens for sure. Yeah. Um, and especially if there's been kind of a, a nice wind down, if it's been an active class. And I see a lot of times classes these days, there's very little, if sometimes no Shavasana, um, <clears throat> or people leave three minutes or something at the very yeah. end of the class, and it's been a very active class. And when I see that, I think, okay, well, yeah, people are working their bodies, but um, it's um, a little bit disappointing for me to see that yeah. because that's really where a lot of the magic happens um, yep. in the last, you know, even just minimum of 10 minutes of Shavasana. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with that too as a yoga teacher that um, it's in, in my years in the yoga 
um, business, I've seen classes go from a standard of 90 minutes now. It's more like a standard of an hour. So when I teach, I can't really do a 10-minute Shavasana in an hour-long class. It's too much of the class. So even I, like I love Shavasana and and that time when ideas come and yeah. And you clear out so much, but I, I'm all, I'm cutting them down to about five minutes these days. Mm-hmm. And hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, maybe I should bring them back up to 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I was kind of taught back in the day that, you know, it, it really did have to be like a minimum of 10 for yeah. like all the magic to happen. And as yep. a yin teacher, you know, even with uh, with yin yoga um, about, you know, what happens to the body and, and the meridians and um, when someone comes out of a pose, but I guess also there's so much focus on doing um, in our culture right now. Yes, that, and I, maybe that's one of the reasons why I love Yin, is because it's you know this um, as opposed to the Yang yoga or Yang styles where it's very active. Of course, it's all relative, but um, there is so much focus on doing and producing and accomplishing. At least you know I think in our country, and so. I love the idea of yin yoga and restorative, um, and not just that women need that, but men too, to really stay in balance from yeah. the overdoing. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, it is an issue. Like the classes are now an hour instead of an hour and a half. Yeah, because there's so much to do. Mm. Well, because people <laughs> want to make money um, in their yoga studios, too. That's and true. if yeah. you can squeeze in more classes. So it's yeah. partly like a financial thing, yeah. of really. <clears throat> so Shavasana, is that is that correct? Corpse pose, yeah. Corpse pose? Okay, I was going to ask because I'm not much on the yoga train. So yeah, thank you for scale. asking that. Yeah, yeah Shavasana is the, the time of rest that is happens at the end of pretty much any yoga class you go to. You lie down on your back and do nothing. And for many people, it's the best part of the class. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that does sound nice. I could probably do that later today. <laughs> like right <laughs> that now. Does no. great. Yeah, no, no. Um, so it's kind of like a meditative just... A meditative yeah. time to just integrate everything you've done. And Very nice. Pause. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's being left out now. Yeah, and you know, uh, because there's so much focus when uh, a lot of times in our work or even in our yoga practice, you're really focusing on something in particular. And then in Shavasana, you may start by focusing on something, but then in the end, you let go and you just like let go so Mm. that there we allow ourselves to just completely let go and let be whatever happens. Okay. You know, so okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up yeah really cool yeah and so as far as creativity and yoga and meditation like they're they're really essential things Mm -hmm. to creativity if you are living a life where you just never stop and you're going from one thing to the next um, there is not any space for creativity to come in Mm -hmm. and so not only those moments of shavasana rest and meditation but just getting the mind calibrated to the idea of pausing sometimes mm-hmm. and doing nothing and yes. letting and, and and attracting whatever is ready to come in creatively. Yes. That's it's like training for the creative mind in a way. Yes, I love that. And maybe like doing nothing is doing something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 no, I, I like that. Even just if you think about it as giving your mind a rest to mm-hmm. so just get back at it later at a more healthy, <laughs> you know, yeah. angles. Pretty right. important. Yeah. It will be ready nice. to come back. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And so, you, so you've been teaching since 99, right? You've been doing your yoga practices. Yes. Yeah. 
And then you're still doing that today, correct? I still am. And um, yeah, it was my primary career for for a long time uh, until the past um, five to seven years mm. is when I started doing um, doing this nonprofit with this choir. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so I, I had a yoga studio for 10 years. I owned one in Arizona and... Um, and that was a big part of my life throughout, um, for that whole time. It really, right. it, it took a lot of my life energy and it was a great project and I'm really glad that it's not my project anymore because <laughs> 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 yeah. it's a lot to own a yoga studio and people, it, people don't see it. They think you're teaching yoga all the time and it's like you're doing everything but teaching yoga. There's so much behind the scenes mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so now I work at a wonderful studio in Point Reyes called Point Reyes Yoga, which is owned by a mu- uh, musician, MC Yogi, and his wife, Amanda Giacomini, who also does the... If you've ever driven to West Marin and you've seen the Buddhas around uh, on murals, there's she has this project called 10,000 Buddhas that she's building these beautiful murals around the country and around the world. It's um, amazing. Yeah, she's a wonderful artist, visual artist. And so I... So I'm doing all my teaching there, and I did actually manage the studio for almost 10 years, but I recently oh, wow. let go of that, and I actually let go of some of my weekly classes, too. I'm down to teaching one yoga class a week, plus I teach yoga teacher trainings, and I teach um, a, an immersion, a three-day immersion called The Art of Yogic Chant, which is a new thing I'm pretty excited about mm-hmm. that's merging my two worlds of yeah. yoga yeah, and music. Let's get into that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the art of yogic chant, it's, um, I mean, I could have, I considered calling it something like chant 101 or something, but I have a little bit of a different twist on it that I'm, I'm not really spending much energy in these groups on Vedic chanting and a lot of, um, a lot of yoga trainings and chant focus a lot on Vedic chanting, which is a lot of recitation, yeah. memorization. Mm-hmm. It works great for younger minds. I tend to be more with like middle-aged and older um, people. And and um, certainly memorization can feel worthwhile. And it just takes, it takes longer. And really the heart opening is where the, the juice of this is for me mm-hmm. and the juice of using the voice and singing and, and, not being quite so like scientific or rigid about it. Um, it's really getting more into the emotional qualities of what what is yogic chant as far as like what does it do for the heart? What does it do for um, for our different states of mind? And how can how can it be a meditation tool and not so much just like a, a discipline tool? Because yeah. as we get older, we don't need that discipline as much. Um, it's it's good for younger people. So. So yeah, we do in the yoga chant training. It's it's a synthesis of bija mantras, which is um, the just very simple, like a bija. The word means seed, and you're getting into sounds like Om is the most well known bija mantra. And then there's all these other different sounds that have different effects that we chant in different ways that are used to elicit different meditative states. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work with those quite a bit, and then we expand it into uh, kirtan and raga singing, and that's there's there's lots to do there, yeah. <laughs> and some and improvisational singing. Mm-hmm. And the bija um, singing, I know, I think that um, they correspond to the the chakras. Is that right? Like om, 
Some of them do, and then there's other bijas that um, don't necessarily correspond to a chakra, but more just bring, like, you can do bijas to calm yourself. Okay. Um, you can do bijas to energize yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the ha, the, the yeah. H ones are more energizing. Right. Um, and, and also just the, um, the vibrational element of yogic chant, there's there's just some magic of vibration mm-hmm. that it's amazing to get into that state where you are able to create a vibration that affects yourself. It's kind of this, like we go through this, this cultural situation we're in where we think music comes from outside and vibration is something that we have to go seek out and to, mm-hmm. to establish a yogic chant practice and to be able to bring vibration into your own practice and um and use your voice that way it gets people out of that insecurity about their voice big time it's Mm -hmm. like oh this is not just something that's supposed to sound pretty like some of these sounds are not pretty Mm -hmm. and they are they have a different purpose yeah it's it's um so there's a transformational purpose uh, um So you're noticing something that's happening inside of you and you may not be enjoying that and you're wanting to create change. And so you would take on a particular practice. You'd say, okay, well, for this, maybe kind of like medicine. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another piece, uh, another piece of the yogic chant training, a big piece is um, this idea of devotion, which is what is infused in the whole kirtan world of devoting what you're singing to something larger than yourself Mm -hmm. which in in our culture of the of stars or famous people being the musicians it's very refreshing to Mm -hmm. to come into this world of kirtan where people are doing it out of their hearts out of love for someone else something else some Mm -hmm. idea and it's not all about being the best or um, anything like that. So, and it's such a foreign idea to us to like, especially, um, if, because many in today's world didn't grow up with religion, like didn't really, like church has become not cool anymore. And, um, and so to even like think about God a lot or to think about anything that you'd want to devote yourself or devote your singing to, we've lost that as a culture. And, and people have um, some, you know, maybe triggers if they did grow up with religion. It's mm-hmm. often like they don't want to, they don't, they're moving away from that as adults. Um, and so to have the Indian-inspired devotion come in, that's like, oh, okay, I don't have to have some... I, there's something that can open my heart in a devotional way that doesn't trigger all my childhood mm. stuff. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's from a different culture, so it's actually safer. Right, right. Yes, and that is <laughs> a it. blessing. <laughs> yeah. A well-needed a well needed, um, bit of nourishment. Yeah, yeah. To say the least. So is there a way that you um, use language to... Um, communicate in a way where you're not using the word God to trigger people? Or how do you approach that with people, um, both in the kirtans and in yoga class? And like, do you discuss a concept of God? Is that a word that you do not not use? Um, 
It's an interesting uh, topic. Mm. I yeah, think. well, in the um, Indian music and the kirtan world, there's not a strong correlation to one god, first mm -hmm. of all. And and so these different deities mm -hmm. or gods that are brought into the songs are um, can really be thought of as representations of a certain kind of quality mm -hmm. of um, humanity or personality or whatever you want to think of it as. And, um, and it's, it's a, been a journey for me because I'm like, it feels a little removed to me. I still struggle with it. Like I didn't grow up Hindu and mm -hmm. I don't necessarily, I, I've never become Hindu. I've changed my name from Debbie is the name I grew up with to Devi, mm -hmm. which means, um, it kind of means goddess or it's kind of a, it's, it's a female, um, s sort of title before the name. Um, but I changed it from Debbie to Debbie mostly just because I liked the sound of the name and I liked the energy yeah. of mm -hmm. it and yeah. I like it a lot better than the name Debbie, which is sort of like this, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy name. That <laughs> yeah, you have, you have a great yeah. blog on your website about That's it. So That's right. If With you want to see my little, cupcake, my little blog entry about, mm -hmm. about why I changed my name yeah. to yeah. a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I use this name Debbie and... Um, but I really haven't like fully taken on the the Hindu religion, and that's a beautiful thing about yoga and yogic chanting is that you can really sort of take what works for you yes. without having to like take on a whole subscribe new, to an entire uh, yeah right. yeah um, the fact that there even are different deities that you can just yes. choose the ones that resonate with you and. Um, and maybe think of it as the qualities of, as you mentioned, of the deity. Um, I do remember actually that there, uh, I was teaching a workshop at a conference once a long time ago, and um, there was there were some um, people that were Christians that really had issues around actually chanting, uh, thinking that they were worshiping, you know, false idols in, in these deities. Mm -hmm. And there actually has been a lot of controversy. Um, in the Christian community, I mean, not obviously everybody, but um, just because of this idea of worshiping um, false idols. But um, I love the idea that that anybody can do this and that it's a devotional practice and that we can devote ourselves to a particular quality or energy in it, you know, and it may be called this this name, this particular name, but yeah, and I, I, I guess I try to think of it as not worshiping anyone, but mm -hmm. instead just um, awakening that the qualities of that deity in ourselves. Like when we mm -hmm. chant Shiva, where, where those are kind of the more darker, moody chants typically, and so we're um, getting in touch with that that part of ourselves that wants to welcome change and transformation. Mm -hmm. That's what Shiva is all about, mm -hmm. opening up to transformation. Yes. Yeah. So, Davy, I'm curious, what kind of transformation are you going through right now? I mean, oh. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of transformation, I mean, I think that it's kind of just the nature of life, you know, mm -hmm. change. So, there's a big question. Um, <laughs> so, I have um, been. I had a I had a big breakup. Um, four years ago, mm -hmm. just over four years ago. And it was with um, my partner I'd been with for 12 years, who was my musical, um, kind of my musical 
foundation in a lot of ways. I had my childhood musical foundation, but when I um, when I was thirty, I got together with uh, with a man who is an incredible musician, and he is the reason I started singing harmonies. Uh, we sang incredible harmonies together. We still do. We still occasionally sing together, and. Um, it was he was my teacher for many years, and we had uh, we had a, we went through a lot together. We moved to California together. We met in Tucson, and um, and then we had a we had a breakup that was that was really difficult. It wasn't my choice, mm -hmm. and um, and so that kind of put me into this cesspool of like you know my self-worth went mm -hmm. way down and I wasn't doing a lot of good self-care in that relationship and mm -hmm. um well I don't blame any of it on him but that I I really like he was the creative one and I was the support person and mm -hmm. I was the administrator and I was managing his music business yeah. in, in an unpaid right. capacity because as you may know um trying to perform for a living is um a. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do we call it? A. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly impossible. I don't know if the comers worked for that one yet. Yeah. So I'll yeah. wait on that. <laughs> um, but we were trying to make that work for him, and he had a, a body of work that he was trying to get out into the world, and um, and I put a lot of energy into that, and 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 so there was I was in a support role. I wasn't thriving as a creative person at all. I didn't mm -hmm. see that at that time. Right, right, right. Um, I saw that he was the creative one, and yeah. I, I had more administrative skills and mm -hmm. blah blah blah. Sure. Um, right. And um, so, so yeah, I went into a really dark place for about a year after that, mm -hmm. and then what started happening was. Um, well, I also lost 20 pounds, which was because I just couldn't eat. Like mm -hmm. during in the depression, I mm -hmm. I had I wasn't. It was just. It was, um, but anyway, I came out with this new body that was able to like ha that had like way more energy. Mm -hmm. I had. <laughs> wow, <all right>. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot more energy. I had like in yoga, I was way more flexible. All of a sudden, <laughs> I was like, wow, it's like 10 years ago. I, I've just wow. removed 10 years. And um, and I started dancing. I started finding uh, improvisational dance, which was something that was so needed for me, like to mm. be able to find this place of building up energy, building up Kundalini energy, mm -hmm. uh, and sharing it with other people, mm -hmm. and having a social life too, because I really had gotten into this place in in. Um, my hometown, in my small town where I live, where I was very insulated, where I, my, I only really interacted with people I worked with, with people I taught yoga to. I didn't leave town much. And it was like, you know, places that were over the hill, we called it. Like um, the, the towns that were like 30, 40 minutes away felt really far away to me. And then yeah. I started to realize like, wow, they're only 30, 40 minutes away and I can right. just start having a whole life outside of this small town. Yeah. Um, and, and so dance became a big door for me to find um, just more self-development work, more a lot of self-growth and relationship work and... Um, 
working on my own, like being able to become this creative person in me that has been wanting to come out, you know, mm. this, that wow. was sort of like stifled and insecure and not feeling good enough. Um, there's a just there's a little um, demonstration of how our shadow, how we, you know, our projections on our partners can be actually like this positive thing that we are like not seeing within ourselves, mm. you know. Interesting. Yeah. And getting thrown back to ourselves like that. And so like, okay, you know, this thing that I loved about this person, like how can I develop that myself? Mm -hmm. Which I've actually found as a person who used to have like a lot of crushes that um, one of the tools that I've used <laughs> as a kind of a personal thing. Yeah. But, you know, one of the tools that I've used is actually like, what is it that I'm seeing in that person um, that I might want to develop more of myself? Yeah. You know? right. Yeah. Yeah, and I see that in um, not just myself, but other um, people who are in partnerships with with great musicians is that they they were attracted to that because they're musical people themselves. But suddenly the other one is the creative one. Mm -hmm. And and so now I'm in a new partnership with a wonderful man and, and um, I'm the creative one. And I don't want to be that force for him. Like I really want to bring him along with me because mm -hmm. he also is musical mm -hmm. and, and, and creative and sort of on a new path of discovering uh, that for more deeply himself. Wow, that's beautiful. And you guys have been together a year now. And yes, just over uh, a year. I've seen uh, on Facebook, because the listeners, that's how Davey and I have actually just stay in, quote, touch. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Actually, <laughs> since the last time we saw each other was two years ago at that yeah. Rhiannon <laughs> workshop. But, um, you know, I kind of know what's going on in your life. And, you know, I comment here and let you know that I see what's going on. And it's beautiful mm -hmm. to see, you know, Thank this you. new yeah. relationship blossoming and... Yeah. yeah, and we we've just recently this past week gotten engaged. And oh my that's God. exclusive really? info. Oh. That is not oh, on Facebook here yet. First. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta I gotta in post put in like a cool little like jingle like happy music time for that when you yeah. said that. Yeah. Like something. Totally. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, that's so incredible. Um, yeah, what else can I say about transformational work and transformation is um, that um, the more I, I have, I've carried a lot of, like I'm, I am a singer, I'm a natural singer and playing instruments has been like edgy for me, like, mm -hmm. like it hasn't been the easiest thing for me to translate what's in my mind to an instrument, but I play instruments and um especially in my long-term relationship with the with a musician who had like just incredible instrumental chops on multiple instruments i always felt a lot lesser than when it came to to instrumentation and um and now to be doing more work on the heart and heart opening and to just enjoy the simplicity of how i am able to express the transformation I'm going through in my voice and the choice mm. of songs that I make in the repertoire yeah. mm. and in leading others in song, which is m the, the thing I love to do. That, that doesn't require high level anything. That mm. is like the more accessible it mm. is for people, the yeah. better, really. Mm -hmm. totally. How do you find uh, the pieces that you're going to bring to the choir? Um, oh, all from? over the place. Mm. I go to 
singing gatherings and um, I write down names of things if I like what what mm-hmm. someone's doing or mm-hmm. I record it if, if they're okay with that. Um, and uh, YouTube is an incredible resource. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yes. You can... You can spend a lot of time driving and going to campouts and gatherings, or you can sit on YouTube for <laughs> half, half a day and yeah. learn learn a whole lot. Um, and it's a I have this love hate relationship with the whole recording mechanism of music. It's like the moment you start making music that someone likes, they start recording it, and it's like it takes it so much out of the moment that. Um, in, in one way, I'm, like, trying to be, like, cool and, like, you know, not old school and not right. not tell people that I don't want it recorded. But at, on, in the other time, it's like, well, this is, like, an in-the-moment yeah. thing that's not meant to be. Like, you just totally change the energy of this thing by turning on a recording device. Davey, what I wanted to ask you um, was how do you... Um, you know, you put out this ad a while ago. I saw that you wanted a director, and I thought, oh, man, that would be so much fun. Oh, but then yeah, I thought, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, how do you you record? You said that you record each person's part, each group's part. Yes. And uh, so it's not really written out, but it's they get to have the recordings to learn their parts. Yeah. Um, and, but how do you, do you, so who did those arrangements? Like if you've got a new song, do you just figure out an arrangement yourself? Um, you, if sometimes they're already arranged, like depending on where you hear it, um, or if you hear a good recording and, um, I'm pretty good at, and you, I imagine you would be too at, at hearing the different parts without actually needing it written out or recorded separately. Um, and so if you are able to do that, if you have the ear for that, then then you're good. It's just a little, becomes just more of a scientific process of like um, getting each part sort of transcribed in whatever way in your head or on paper, however, mm-hmm. whatever your system is. And then um, sitting down with some recording software. I use Logic, but you can do, you can even use GarageBand for mm-hmm. this. Um, and um, then we... So I'll have four tracks, the soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, and um, and I'll provide on the website, that they, which we call our song portal, mm-hmm. there's one of the even mix of how we want the whole song to sound, and then there's one where the soprano part is there and all the other parts are way down in volume, right. oh, so yeah. you still have right. the context. Oh, cool. And so we put out the uh, same thing for the others, and we put five files out for really for that purpose. How fun. And it's such a wonderful way to do the music rather uh, separate from the traditional choir model, which is yeah. all paper with your yeah. binder, and mm-hmm. and it's it the that's something that Tim and I co- we founded this choir with. Um, it was inspired by Tim, this model who comes from the bluegrass tradition mm-hmm. of nothing is written down in yeah. the bluegrass All tradition, just, just like jazz is yeah. the same, I guess. And yeah. um, and there's so much more engagement between the musicians right. when that's happening mm-hmm. and so much more energy exchange when it's like the, the music is not that piece of paper. It's yeah. the sound that's happening between people. And, and call and response is the natural way for us to... Um, to learn music or hearing it and repeating mm-hmm. it back. And so so we're going back on all these centuries of civilization that were 
started transcribing music. Mm, yeah, <laughs> we're like, yeah. let's go back a few hundred years and go back to before that happened. Oh, that's a fantastic <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. And so we have to choose songs that can be taught that way. So typically it's like a, a song with a chorus that's easy to remember and then verses that soloists will take on the, the responsibility of memorizing and, mm-hmm. and learning. Gotcha. Nice. Well, I know that you're... Um, you're teaching a series. Uh, would you tell us the name of the series? And then I'd love to um, actually just listen to a, um, a bit of a clip of one of the MP3s that you mm-hmm. sent. Yeah, so my fall uh, choir series that's starting next week is called Songs of Death, Grief, and Renewal. And um, this is a relatively new thing we're doing with the choir is to have a theme. We used to just do like five songs per season. Mm-hmm. We, we call a season, it's like a series. It's six weeks long. Uh, and we have two chapters of the choir. So when I am in session, I do two twice a week, uh, one time in Point Reyes and one time in Stinson Beach. And the two chapters work on the same music and then they come together at the end for a performance. And our performance this time is going to be two performances at the West Marin Day of the Dead um, the ceremony or I don't know what to call them, ceremony, festival. Um, and they're both really sweet events that are going to be really community infused. Uh, and neat. And we're going to, and they're, they're reverent events. You right. know, people are, people really participate in bringing their photos and mementos of loved ones to the altar. And my plan is, <coughs> as I get more, comfortable with doing like group process through my yoga chant work. I really want to bring, I want to, I really want to bring more um, of that into the choir season that I'm leading is, is I want to, we're going to be hearing people's stories of their losses, whoever wants to share. I know, I know already that some of the people who are going to be joining us are, uh, have some big shifts in their lives right. that have happened. And for me, my big breakup, even though it wasn't a death, it, it felt like a it felt like a death in some ways. I went through a grieving process and a huge loss. Uh, and that's where my interest in this work comes from. Yeah. I was gonna ask that, but you just answered my question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's that's September sixteenth uh, through the twenty fourth I have here. Yeah, so we start September 16th in Stinson Beach. That's the Monday night. And then for people doing the Point Raise group, that starts the following night, September 17th. Cool. So let's listen to a clip. Yes. All right. Hang on. Here we go. I'm on my way to Canaan land. I'm on my way to Canaan land. I'm on my way. 
So that song was titled Canaan Land. And did you arrange that one? Did you guys arrange that I, song? Um, I helped Tim arrange it, Tim Weed. And he's the, uh, at the time we did that song, he was the only director of the choir. And then, um, and then I started to, I was his co-director. So mm-hmm. we, we worked together. And, but he was kind of the, the main mm. arranger and um, a musical person. And then it took me a while, too, after we had our breakup to decide that I was feeling confident enough about doing it myself. Because right. we, we have a big group. We have um, 40 people uh, to sometimes 50 people in Point mm-hmm. Reyes. And um, so I had to get my confidence up for that. And, and, <laughs> yeah, um, and I did that... Um, I, actually, on yoga retreats down, I, I, I started leading smaller groups on yoga retreats, and I realized, like, oh, my God, I love doing this. This wow. is, like, this is my calling to lead singing groups on my own, like, to not not just as his sidekick. And he has his own way of doing it, and I realized I get to do it my way. Yes. <laughs> How totally. awesome is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that recording, yeah, that's, that's just the two of us plus a bass singer, um, our friend Todd Pickering, singing um all the parts and so we make it sound like a choir by tripling each of right. the harmony oh, parts so you're cool. hearing 12 voices a nice chorusing effect yeah, yeah yeah from all that very cool that those those harmonies gave me a very like moses hogan vibe like those really like battle sort of yeah. tunes almost it was very primal in a really cool way nice. i really enjoyed that yeah yeah, yeah so that canaan land like the the way that fits into the theme is like um Canaan, it was an actual biblical place, but to to go to Canaan land to cross over the River Jordan is, has become kind of symbolic of mm. going to heaven. So it's like this, um, you know, I'm I'm ready for death, and I'm on the I'm on the right path, and um, mm. so so that song could be interpreted that way. It could yes. be interpreted other ways, but it's yeah. kind of like, you know, I'm not. Um, it also can be kind of a transformational theme, like like I'm. I'm not going to just stay here doing the same stuff anymore. I'm going to go mm-hmm. I'm going to go f- find the better path and you can come with me too if you want to. <laughs> yeah, really beautiful. Cool. Especially when 50 people are all singing it at once. Yeah. Okay. Do you ever find that people like really start tearing up and have a hard time singing through it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we have a lot of mm-hmm. emotional responses to doing this yeah. and um yeah, um, Ann Cushman was a member of our choir, and she's a spirit rock meditation teacher, and she uh, she is still a member. Um, she's going to be coming back th- this fall, and and she um, she wrote a blog about her experience, and she hadn't sung in quite a while, um, and just the experience of being on this, she calls it like a, a river of voices, and how she came into it with insecurity, not knowing if. Um, if she'd be like shamed or like kicked out or something because she didn't feel confident about her voice. And she found like this welcoming thing where not only did she feel like her voice wasn't sticking out in a bad way, but she felt like a contributor to it. And that's wow, we're like all in this together. And and these people next to me are helping me and I'm helping them. And um, it is a very emotive kind of experience. Mm. That's beautiful. What what an incredible offering um, to you know to give to the community and to yourself. Yeah, and I just there's something about my voice. I think when I sing, that people always want to sing along with me, even if they don't know the song. And I think it's maybe because I sing with very little vibrato. I sing in a really clear way. I have pretty good volume, 
I don't know what it is. I'm just guessing. But mm-hmm. there's something about my voice that makes people want to sing along, and I want to welcome that. Mm. And so I think that's why I've fallen into this in, in the circuitous path that I have, <laughs> um, that I feel like this is my gift to give, that I can really sing these parts for people. I have a good mind for four-part vocal harmony. I just can memorize it like pretty pretty easy. I don't have to read notes or anything mm-hmm. all the time. I'm just, um, I walk into the class like knowing the parts. And yeah. That's great. Yeah. Neat. And that song that we listen to is kind of typical of our chorus. The chorus is the same mm-hmm. every time around and in a verse that, that a soloist will sing. And they're pretty easy to remember solo verses too. Mm-hmm. So that, that one's really friendly for people who are maybe venturing into soloing for the first time, uh-huh. which we love to see. We don't always just want to have the best soloist. Mm-hmm. Like it's not about sounding great it's it's about people stepping into new territory and being supported by the group and i love when that person who's never sung in front of a group takes takes a leap in rehearsal and Mm -hmm. and does it and and we all know that doing that in front of 40 or so people even in rehearsal it's not even performance time yet that's that's big and sometimes they crack a little bit they can't do it their voice doesn't come out the way they want and we just um, we we just welcome it so much because they tried, and it's yes. not and and it's almost like a given that the first time you try it, your voice is not going to come out right, and so mm-hmm. you have to know that <laughs> the first time, and then the second time maybe it'll come out a little more uh, a little more right. Yeah, I just love that, mm-hmm. and you know I'm sure that when when people do that in in something as scary for some people as singing, and you're really going to your edge in front of other people to do something like that. Um, that that kind of experience can be, uh, you know, you can connect that, you can use that to support yourself in, in other ways in your life when you're wanting to do a scary thing. Well, if I could sing in front of people, then I could do this too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think for all of us, we, you know, I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't have some fear. It's just, I think the nature of being alive is, you know, some things. Uh, so, I mean, some people are maybe more fearless in some way. Some people are big adventures, like physical adventures, and yet they may be very scared of intimacy. Like I remember actually just, you know, a little uh, side thing here, but I remember watching a a rock um, rock climbing documentary on speed climbers. And, you know, I just happened to be really interested in rock climbing. But um, so, but it was really interesting because um, I think the... uh, somebody that was interviewing one of these guys said, well, has this fearlessness trans, um, translated into other areas of your life? You know, And he said very clearly that it did not tra- translate into his, um, into his relationships, that he remained very scared to reveal himself emotionally, although that's pretty... Um, brave to reveal that yeah. in the documentary yeah. so you know sounds like he's doing the work just uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> just saying that mm-hmm. yeah. but you know i think if you consciously call up that memory like i can do this you know um yeah anyway what a beautiful thing that you're doing yeah and and what you're saying um that it's a gift to yourself to take that risk and mm-hmm. to you know make yourself bolder yeah. for taking other risks it's also a gift to everyone else in the group and in the room. If you take that leap, whether you succeed or fail, not that there's even 
like such a thing as succeeding or failing in this environment. But um, if you are willing to take that risk, and sometimes when people can see how scared you are, that's even it's even more effective. That mm. it's a gift to them because it helps to embolden them too. That's a wonderful um, you know point to bring forward. Yeah, that's really been that's been part of my transformational path. It's like I've I've been in life often even though I lead groups and lead singing groups, I'm often not the one to like stick out and, and take a risk in, in different environments where I feel less confident. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I've really learned that that's, that's a big edge for me to, to be that person and to be embarrassed and yeah. um, that it's, it's really good work to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Boy. <laughs> yeah. And you guys doing jazz music know a lot about that, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, yeah, yeah, I think I've mentioned in the past episode, but, you know, just going back to school at the age of 52, yeah. you know, and um, I'm growing up playing classical music but not being able to play a thing without music in front of me and then being around, you know, 18, 19-year-old boys, like 30 and pretty much being the only female. And wow. I mean, my hands literally, when we had to improvise in you know, the second class or whatever, you know, I just, they would shake literally about an inch back and forth. And I think that, you know, I was probably most embarrassed. Of course, I was embarrassed about sounding terrible because this is kind of a different environment than, <laughs> well, anyway. But um, I was also just as embarrassed about being embarrassed. Mm. And and seeing, you know, yep. letting people see how embarrassed I was. So I appreciate that comment, too, that, you know, when somebody sees that you're scared and embarrassed, um, that it's a gift to them. So I'm going to kind of just turn that around. Yeah, around. turn it around. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So uh, I know that you're also into some physical stuff outside of just music and the choirs and whatnot um i wanted to touch on that a little bit because sure. i'm kind of a physical junkie too sometimes okay. so <laughs> i was kind of curious what you're interested in like uh, what it is you like to do outside and some sports or activities or anything like that that you're interested oh, in? oh it's kind of all over the place mm -hmm. and i like it that way um, <laughs> yeah yeah keep it, it used to be a lot of yoga a lot a lot of different kinds of yoga and yeah. now um i still like all kinds of yoga and i've also um become a swimming junkie. I swim in Tomales Bay. Oh, um, lucky. Oh, my God. Oh, it's it's so wonderful. To, um, such a wonderful place to swim. Yeah. And I've gotten used to the cold water. Mm -hmm. I do not like to swim with a wetsuit. Um, I, in fact, I don't have a wetsuit. Um, <laughs> wow. And I don't even like swimming with a bathing suit. So I go down there early morning when you By can, yourself? Oh, you get no, away no swim with buddy? I don't have, there's a group that I sometimes swim with, but, um, and they're called the mermaids and they go at 6 a.m., but I often, <laughs> I often am not awake for 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something about just getting, like the water's so cold at first and then something happens to your body where it's like, oh, this doesn't feel cold anymore. And there's this threshold you passed where it's like, ah, I'm there. And wow. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Does that happen every time? Is it pretty jarring every time you go in at first? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really crazy. there was one day this summer where Tamales Bay felt okay. Refreshing cuz it was so hot out. Right. And mm -hmm. other than that, that's it's about a once or twice a year occurrence <laughs> when when it's yeah, it's just not warm water around here. So is there like <laughs> a dock or is there a beach? It's a beach. You, it's a beach. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mhm. Mm 
So I swim. You're not afraid. I just have to ask that. You're not afraid of going by yourself, like swimming in the water by yourself? Because I was always taught that you had to have a swim buddy with you in case something happened. There's some fear. I've heard about people having heart attacks in the water, and then that's, you know, that's happened to someone recently, and they didn't make it. Um, And I've seen seals in that water when I was swimming more in the wintertime who were like, you do not belong here, and we're doing some kind of breeding thing that uh, there was aggressive seal like surrounding me and I was I just got out of there I was like whoa wow um but I felt that energy I tuned into it and you know there's not sharks in the bay it's not deep enough so if there were sharks I'd be (laughs) more scared of that (laughs) yeah um so yeah swimming is one of my things um and uh then hiking I do quite a bit of hiking and running like alternating running and hiking Mm -hmm. um and um, acro yoga. My new, um, my new fiance. I get to say fiance now. He and I um, do a lot of acro yoga. What is acro yoga? Acro yoga is uh, the combination of acrobatics and yoga, where mostly he's on his back with his in an L shape. They call it with his legs up in the air, and his feet and hands are supporting me in various ways. Right getting to like show off and do yoga poses and it, it requires a, a lot of strength from him a lot of stability and for me I have to have quite a bit of core strength and balance as well doing these things and I am not super duper flexible as far as the yoga teacher realm of things sure. I'm, I've actually been whenever I'm in a room of yoga teachers I'm the least flexible one but that's okay it's 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 not about performance the acro yoga it's mm-hmm. just it's about connection and working together and you know, me being bossy and then apologizing <laughs> for being too bossy. <laughs> that's right. kind of sums up our a big part of that our relationship. Really <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, and there's more physical stuff. What else is there? There's cycling and um, I can't think of anything. Paddling. Else oh, yes. There's there's paddleboarding. Oh, you paddleboard? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. I like paddleboarding better than kayaking. Okay. I mean, the sitting position doesn't work very well for yeah, me. Yeah, right. I know. Me too. Yeah. I like the standing position. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Did you find paddleboarding difficult at first? or? No, it's easy. I mean, if you're in a wind, it's like, I don't like it when it's windy at all, mm-hmm. which is tough on Tamales Bay because it's windy a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I just like to go out in the morning, and it's really not a very vigorous thing. It's more just like floating and enjoying like yeah. carrying the board to the water is maybe the hardest thing you do right. when, when you're not doing it mm-hmm. in wind. Hmm. Very fascinating. Sounds like you like water a lot too, like water sports. Yeah, well, I live um, in this beautiful place in Inverness that's near the water there. And I mm-hmm. drive by a big stretch of Tamales Bay every day. And so it's hard to forget that that water is there and yeah. it just infuses itself into my mind like mm-hmm. gotta get in the water today gotta get on the water today gotta do something rather than just drive by it right yeah. between Absolutely. work and home man yeah <laughs> i wonder yeah i'd probably change my life too honestly if i was living next to the water like that yeah, yeah. That's great. what kind of physical stuff do you do uh i'm i'm big on lifting and i'm big on hiking's fun but i don't get to do that a lot yeah. um and just walking is really fun, and then longboarding, okay. that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, snowboarding's huge. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love doing that. Um, yeah, and then just you know your basic like tennis and volleyball and all the 
small old ball sports locally whenever okay. we can get that going on. So that's kind of my big thing. But yeah, lifting and snowboarding when I have money to pay for snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of my thing. Yeah. I just learned how to ski. Uh, nice. A year and a half ago. <laughs> I'm sure that was fun. Yeah. It wasn't really fun, but I did it. Oh. It's, it's not really fun to learn to ski in your 40s. But right. yeah. yeah. My husband did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he's doing great. Um, but once I got the hang of it a bit, it was it got funner. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Right. Snowboarding's the same way. Starting out, like, it was so hard. Um, it wasn't really fun to learn, but once I went, like, four times, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Now this is actually enjoyable. Finally, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's how I feel about jazz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to do it a thousand times. It's like, all right, eight hours a day for a few years, yeah. and I mean, sometimes slowly, but you know, yeah. hey, eight hours a day, huh? Oh my god, first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's why I had to quit <laughs> teaching. <laughs> well, wow. kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, multiple reasons, but yeah. I'm sure. Mm. I don't know if I've ever spent eight hours a day practicing. Like, that makes me go crazy, mm. <laughs> personally. I just, yeah. I need to take it in small chunks, repetitive chunks. Right. Personally. Well, I wasn't sitting <laughs> for the entire eight, eight hours. hours. Okay, good. Yeah. No, I would have to yeah. come and take, you know, you take a 10-minute break or whatever. Or usually I'd be, I mean, you know, I could go for probably two or three hours without noticing, like, what in the world time it is. Right. The right. time would pass um, pretty quickly. Wow. Yeah. Well, depending on what skill I was working on, there were some things that I could only take 10 minutes of, right. honestly. And my piano teacher would say, why do you, can you only spend 10 minutes on that? Can't you go for two hours? I'm like, no, because I'm about ready to pull out my hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I know that that's not useful. So I'm going to take a little break and calm myself and come back so that I can be calm and effective, you mm-hmm. know. Uh-huh. Practice. Yeah. <laughs> Practice techniques. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so is there anything about practicing, the topic of practicing, yeah. whether it's um, yoga or, you know, even just uh, how that fits in with, you know, practicing yoga fits in with practicing music. Yeah. Or practicing anything. Teaching, practicing you know. anything. Yeah. Practicing is not something I feel um, particularly good at. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm I think very, that's the point, right? <laughs> I'm very inconsistent. I don't have any, like, regular routine mm. or times. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm working on that, but, um, in general, when it comes to music, my best times are absolutely in the morning, like to Mm -hmm. not have to interact with anyone. Mm -hmm. And this is something I'm kind of negotiating with my new partner is like, we're, we don't live together and we're at some point going to be married and living together. And I really need sometimes to be able to wake up, not interact, and go have musical space or creative space or nothing space, because that is always when music comes to me or when learning comes to me when I'm when I'm when I want to get a new song down. That's yeah. almost always when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe often it's sometimes something that came to me in the night that I maybe mm-hmm. will record on my phone, like a little idea or something. Yeah. So really carving out that time for yourself yeah. is. Yeah is helpful having a life that that allows that and i've been blessed for the past four years like living in this incredibly quiet place where i don't have to work really hard to make creative time Mm -hmm. um, and i don't have a lot of sound disturbance i just can can do it when when it flows and when it comes and i also find that having work in music like having the choir um, and having song various song circles and things that i'm leading that that makes me work a lot more. Like if, if I if it's just for myself, the um, 
the practice time is harder to create. But mm -hmm. if I have a work project coming up and a deadline, I have to set a deadline for myself, mm -hmm. then I will make the time. Mm -hmm. um, and also having musical friends. And um, I'm in a duo right now, a vocal duo that hasn't performed yet. But we get together every week. And I know that when I'm about to get together with her, she... Uh, that I want to review everything we've been working on and maybe and have have a new song to bring to the table yeah. or something. Um, so having other people to, that you're making music with to keep you accountable is, is a huge one to inspire mm -hmm. yeah. practice. Yes. Um, and then the other thing is that um, when there is musical inspiration, whether it's writing a song or learning a new song, to... I've learned to seize on it in that moment if I possibly can mm -hmm. and not say, oh, let me do this thing first. Let me get this to do out of the way. Yeah. And I learned that from Peter Rowan. I got to meet and hang out with Peter Rowan um, once and he, that's, that was a real gift he gave to me. Like, cause he's a prolific songwriter. Okay. I am not. Um, but he, he said like, you, when you have a song idea coming that you have 15 minutes to yeah. write that song. Mm -hmm. He says, you might flesh it out. You probably will like improve it and flesh it out, but you have 15 minutes to get the, the egg of that song or, um, down because then after that, it's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's right. Which <laughs> 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 is frustrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah I know. Mm -hmm. Almost been late to class a couple times because of that problem. Just because mm -hmm. I'm busy writing something and it's like, I can't go right now. I have to do this. Good or, for you, Daniel. No, it's not good for me. I think I get some uh, weird looks from the teachers sometimes yeah. showing up. Yeah. That's the thing about music. I mean, what do we do when we make music? We play, quote unquote, play music. And mm -hmm. it's playing to a lot of people in our lives who especially aren't musicians and to significant others or whatever, that it's very hard to carve that time out with mm -hmm the people in our lives too, it, there's always something more important to do than make music. You can always say that excuse. You can always say, oh, but we have this thing to deal with. We have this thing to do. Yeah. We have so many things to do. And to realize that if you allow that to happen, you will never make time for music. That there's, there's just to know that there's always going to be something more important than music unless you don't allow there to be something mm -hmm. more important than making music. That's a good music. point. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I've spoken to different couples. It's such an interesting thing with, you know, couples and and music and uh, you know, I know somebody a very successful musician, a sax player, um who said that his wife just couldn't stand to hear him practice. Oh. And he ended up getting divorced from this woman and he's so happy that he gets to <laughs> practice. <laughs> um, you know. Mm -hmm. And then for me on the other hand, my husband like it just it just so happens that he is totally, and he's a, just a music lover to the core, and he loves jazz, and we kind of fell in love over actually Kind of Blue 27 years ago or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, But he actually likes to listen to me practice, and sometimes will actually ask me before he goes to work, you know, he leaves at 7.30, you know, would I play the piano for him before he goes? So I feel really lucky, um, especially having grown up with a very That's critical wonderful. father that, wow. you know, so that is like a huge blessing in my life. Mm -hmm. um, he will sometimes just come downstairs, like, you know, like a cat laying there in the sunshine. <laughs> 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 just want to like listen. And I'm not playing anything great. I'm just practicing sometimes. But um, 
I can't even say how grateful I am for that because mm-hmm. I definitely would not be where I am uh, yeah. did I, did I, if I did not have that kind of support, honestly. Um, so, yeah, it, like every couple probably has their different challenges. Yeah. Um, and carving out time and making it important in your life. Sometimes I feel like maybe... I get some judgment for that because I do make it pretty important, but mm. I yeah, don't you know. Seem to do a good job of that. You know, that's hard sometimes to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I guess I don't really have a lot of other people pulling on me, so you know, I don't have kids, and mm. yeah, so. Uh, yeah. But I think carving out time for ourselves, yeah, whether it's music or for self care, um, is probably hard for everybody, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know kind of the nature of it yeah. but so important yeah and and I think it's important for each of us to know um when what our system is for some people saying I'm going to practice at this time every day for an hour or whatever or every week it, it works for them and mm-hmm. others jumping on inspiration and motivation when it comes um and for some people morning is good for some people evening is mm-hmm. good um it's, I think you, you need to kind of know, rather than like trying to fit someone else's formula, know what yeah. your own formula yes. is. Yes, good point. Yeah. I think there's nothing that's kind of more discouraging than trying to come up with a plan for oneself to accomplish something and failing over and over again to meet our own, uh, you know, structure. Um, I think just, re, you know... Um, that's just a whole topic in and of mm-hmm. itself. That could be another <laughs> great podcast, yeah, actually. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Davy, is there anything that we haven't asked you yet that you'd like to talk about? So, yeah, what's coming up is the songs of death, grief, and renewal, mm-hmm. and so it's op- singers can join starting September sixteenth and seventeenth, and then. Um, to hear us we come to the um, Point Raised Day of the Dead ceremony on um, October 26th and, um, and then the Spolinus Day of the Dead where an incredible altar gets built and it takes over the whole Bolinas Community Center and we're going to sing oh, as cool. kind of a blessing to that altar. And in both of these events, the uh, Latino community comes out in force and they... Um, they make food that's for sale or donation. Um, and they're wonderful community events and multicultural gatherings, too. That's, it's a really nice thing about uh, these particular events. Wonderful. Thank you. And we can find more information on your website. And your website is deviedaily.com. Yes, I have too many websites. <laughs> deviedaily.com is my personal one, D-E-V-I-D-A-L-Y. Mm-hmm. And then the choir's website is westmarinchoir.org. And then there's also the nonprofit that runs the choir, which we do some other music programs through, and that's called Sound Orchard, soundorchard.org. Great. Thank you. Perfect. Okay, well, I think that's going to be it for the podcast today. Uh, Debbie, once again, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been really a joy. Yes. Yeah. And we just like to tell listeners that um, you can go to our website for, I think Podbean is probably the place to start, correct? Mm-hmm. Meaningful, Not- munif- meaningful Musical Conversations podbean.com yeah. and subscribe to the podcast. And uh, yes, feel free to share and um, 
also leave comments. We'd love to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hear from, love to connect with each and every one of you that leaves a comment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you can check us out on, uh, we're also on iTunes, and we'll have some YouTube coming off as well, so we'll link those when we get mm-hmm. those as well. And so. Apple Music and uh, Spotify exactly. and just all your usual uh, channels. Yeah. Thank you all. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye.